Production support comes from Smithville, a locally owned business serving central and southern Indiana since 1922 with residential and business internet, phone, and security services. Smithville, local pride, global technology. Information at smithville.net. Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, editor of the Herald Times, along with co-host Mary Catherine Carmichael. And today we're going to talk about this weekend's TEDx Bloomington. Uh, joining us in the studio are three guests. Debbie Herbenick uh, with the uh, Kinsey Institute is here. TEDx 2011 curator Christian Long and Jeff Nelson from the IU School of Music. If you want to join us on the program, please phone 811 uh, 855-0811 or 877-285-9348 or wfiu.org slash noon edition. And, of course, you don't need that 811 or 812 before the 855-0811. Hi. Hey, Mary Catherine. Good to see you back here. Thank you. It's good to be back. I missed you. Back at the radio desk. Yeah, back at the old salt mine. Right. I wonder how many people who are tuning in and are saying, as I did when Martin Bout came to my office to tell me about this, what is TEDx? I I don't know, but I think... I I think if you're not in the in crowd, you may not be familiar with this. These young people are super hip and cool and, you know... Naturally, yes. But geezery people like us, we... Did you know about it before this? I I did because... Well, I did, and here's why, and you'll you'll appreciate Uh it. Because um, Joe Bolte Taylor, one oh, yeah. of our She's favorite cool guests, uh, yeah, she is, and she was sort of launched into the public consciousness through TED, and yeah. so this is a version of that. Yeah. Christian's going to explain that whole thing and all the connections to us. Um, Make us all cool, Christian. Well, <laughs> Bring us in. I'm going to need that, giving back my way as well. So <laughs> um, we'll we'll start at the very beginning. TED is a conference that takes place in California every year, and has been uh, in uh, in motion for, I think, 27 years, so it, it has some history behind it. Uh, originally, and, and, and still, it, it, it refers to technology, entertainment, design, but TED over time became the phrase as opposed to that. Um, and like Jill, your mention of Jill, the folks that are invited to be on the TED stage or sort of the big TED stage um, come from a wide array of backgrounds. Uh, and, and really what they share in common is uh, an idea we're sharing. And, and what, what all the talks have in common or presentations or performances is there's one extraordinary idea or question or debate or performance that uh, is sort of gifted to the world but also put in motion so that people can play with that. And so TED is a conference. And, and in the last couple of years, TED expanded uh, the ability to get involved um, from being able to watch a talk. And I think that's how a lot of folks uh, – became aware of Jill outside of Bloomington, per se. Um, and they created something called TEDx, which is essentially a license so that a, an, 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 an independent group could create an event uh, that was in the spirit of TED. Um, and uh, so our TEDx event, TEDx Bloomington, is, is one of many that take place around the world. Uh, uh, there are hundreds uh, of TEDx events around the world at this point, and each one is an independent event uh, with its own theme and its own focus. Um, but all of them have one thing in common, and that is to use TED as a guideline and, and to invite folks to just kind of inspire the world through this idea of an idea we're sharing. As Martin explained it to me, it's not not that easy to get to put this event on. You actually have to be approved, and it's a sure. pretty big deal. Sure. No, I, I think in order to honor um, TED as a community, uh, not just as a brand, I mean, it's it's really for folks who are, uh, you know, not just hip and in the know, but, but I think who really believe that it's more than just the talks or more than just the videos. Um, it's really a global community, and and so what what TED has done that's very generous is is allow folks like us to to take that form and kind of play jazz with it to to say I get it and I want to be part of that larger global conversation, but we have a, a unique way of doing it because of the local uh, community or context. And um, but yeah, there's a there's a you know sort of a process you have to go through. You have to apply for a license and. And each team is granted a license that, that lasts for a certain period of time and, and is tied to that event. And then there's a, an appropriate array of guidelines and expectations and also just uh, counsel and advice that you're given from TED, which is uh, part of a, a foundation that, that oversees TED. Um, and then there's, of course, you, you just solve the problem along the way. So everything you do, you have to figure out. So there, um, you have to create everything from, you know, from the theme to how is the stage going to be designed to mm. um, how will the experience feel to how would somebody even uh, show up that morning. So you think through all of that. And, and, uh, but I think it falls into that camp of any event that, uh, that we, uh, we plan these days. I mean, I think there's a lot of thoughtfulness about how do you share that story and, and how do you ensure that people have, a, have an experience that's really meaningful to them. And 
Um, and then we have the added challenge of how do you live up to TED as a TED as a community and mm-hmm. TED as a model as well. Mm-hmm. I do want to, to refer again to Jill, Jill Bolte-Taylor, in case uh, you know, I don't want to just drop her name and have and not explain who she is a little bit. She's a, a neuroanatomist who had a stroke and then wrote uh, her story in My Stroke of Insight. Mm-hmm. And uh, she did 18 minutes on the big TED stage. And um, it was it's really – if you haven't seen it, you should go to the TED website and take a look at that. So you mentioned jazz, and we have Jeff Nelson here. Jeff, what, what are you going to be uh, doing at uh, TEDx? Well, my idea worth spreading and worth sharing is uh, fearless performance. So that's what I'll be talking about uh, tomorrow. I'm very excited. Are you scared about it? I'm scared. Yeah, very scared. So I'm going to listen to my talk before I go do it, and then I'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> Not so fearless, but... <laughs> You, you've uh, shared this particular talk uh, before, I think. There's uh, You talk about the line, don't you? The magic line. The magic yeah. line. Yeah. yeah, I do magic as a hobby, so I've called it my magic line. And basically <laughs> it's that I have a magic line between backstage and on stage. And uh, every time you go into any performance opportunity, you cross mm-hmm. that magic line. You bring mm-hmm. all your choices that you've made up until that point. Mm-hmm. And then you – but once you cross it, surrender to everything, dive out there, give it your all, smile, bow – then cross the, cross the line the other way, and then when you cross it the other way and you're backstage, then you can throw your horn out the window, cry, quit, or do whatever, <laughs> or choose better, make it better, and cross mm-hmm. the line again. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm guessing you've never thrown your horn out the window. Uh, well, well, not a window, per se. No. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, Debbie, you're, uh, you told me your third, third presentation. I am. Yeah, I'm so. early in the morning, mm-hmm. and I will be talking about the intersections between sex and play mm-hmm. and some ideas that I have for making sex better based on these principles. Mm-hmm. So, but it is early in the morning, so yeah, well, uh, as we were talking if, about if, earlier, if anything will get people out of bed, it should be that. It sh- or in bed. Or right? they could, yeah, <laughs> maybe that's when you stream in bed. bed. I don't know. Right. And I hope on this particular Saturday morning that they come out of bed and come to hear about sex. <laughs> <laughs> now, you've been, I should, uh, you, you talk about the inter- intersection of sex and play, and we haven't mentioned the theme, which is the wisdom. Uh, the wisdom of play. Yeah, so it, there so, is relevance here. Yeah, right, yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and you've been working on this project for a while, yeah. correct? Yeah. So can yeah. you sort of talk uh, a little bit more about the Bloomington project, how how it came about, who's been involved with it? Well, I'll let together? Christian start with how it came about for Bloomington, and I can sure. jump yeah, in. Yeah, I'll take just the first little yeah. crack of that, and then, Deb, you know, mm-hmm. I think give we'll more style uh, to that. Um so the the theme and the idea to host an event uh, is about a year and a half in the making, and uh, it was just a really rough idea. I mean, we we weren't even close to trying to cross that line, Jeff. And we were just, what would be what would it be like if? And the theme came about really quickly. And and the theme itself, it wasn't about play as the opposite of work or the opposite of intention or seriousness. It was this idea that. We were drawn to people who in their craft or in their passion or in their daily practice uh, had this ability to see the horizon line, but at the same time to allow serendipity and discovery along the way. So people that have intention but also open themselves up to the, you know, the unexpected. So for us, we looked for presenters in all backgrounds uh, that could authentically be that um, and honor that. So that's the theme. And then at that point, you start thinking about the practical, you know, where – where is it going to be? So, you know, the Buskirk Chumley was, was a real gift that, that they were available, and we were lucky to secure that location. Um, and then it was a matter of, uh, you know, opening up the doors to people that were both passionate about TED as a, as a vehicle and as a community, but, but more importantly, passionate about the intersection of Bloomington and these voices that talked about play and wisdom. And, and so that's been a year in the process of, of good people just meeting quietly behind the scenes and, and then other folks kind of getting involved and then that gains momentum. So that's where I'll hand off to Deb. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so uh, it's, it has been an exciting almost year for me since I've been part of the planning committee and getting to meet uh, so many, for me, new people in Bloomington, which was interesting since I've been here for 12 years. But you know, sometimes you think that you know everyone and sure. then you, you stumble around the corner and join a new group or volunteer somewhere and you get to meet a whole new group that you wonder how you never met them before. <laughs> so it was fun to, with these new people, talk about this theme of wisdom of play and and to think in our own individual circles who kind of embodied that for us and to to kind of introduce each member of the planning committee to the other people that we know and realize really how rich this community is and how uh, many uh, fantastic people there there are with different ideas and experiences and who could come and really flesh this idea out and really, I think, uh, 
not create, but uh, bring more to life, like you were saying earlier, Christian, this TED community right here in Bloomington. So we've been meeting and planning everything from, you know, design issues to sponsorships to speakers, national and local, and more recently just having lots of rehearsals and Mm get-togethers. You touched on something I was curious about, the percentage of locals to national. Are you encouraged to have a certain mix, or how does that play out? Yeah, there's no there's no overt rule, and there's um, it's really a matter of how each team solves that puzzle, uh-huh. if you would. And we had the advantage of time; we had a, a year and a half um, to play around with that. And and the way that we approached that early on was to bring in some folks that that were of intrigue, but not necessarily locally based, um, that would help spark a dialogue. And so there was some a sense that there was a certain possibility. And then over time, it became more and more focused on down the street and local and, and the immediate community. So there's an almost exact 50-50 blend um, between local and those that are coming in from out of town. But even some of the folks from out of town, we have one that's an alum of the university. Um, we have other folks that have affiliation um, and et cetera. So it's, it's, it sort of gets weirdly mixed up over time. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. I think Welcome that, to Bloomington. That's yeah, how it is. Yeah. And, and one thing I think is, is important to folks who have, who have been aware of TED and TEDx and this sort of conversation is that at first it appears that the talk or the single speaker experience is, is the point. Um, but I think that's really what gets people in the door. Um, and whether you're a speaker or a planner or an attendee, that's maybe what we have in common at first. But then over time, the real gift is when people in the audience start intersecting with each other in ways. I think, Deb, you put it really beautifully. As a planning team, we became aware of each other and different parts of the community and different folks and different backgrounds and speakers, et cetera. But really the real benefit is the day after when people who have come been part of this experience start to intersect with people in, in different professional sectors or different sectors of play and, and start to say, what can we do with this new relationship or what can we do with what mm-hmm. we're exposed to? And so I think as time goes on, the talks are really vital. But it's really that live energy. Those are more of a catalyst almost for what you hope happens later on. So let me ask you this. What kind of opportunities are there during the conference itself, the the day-long event, for people to make those really personal connections with each other? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, in in this day and age, obviously, there's a lot that goes on in the back channel in terms of Twitter and Facebook. So, I mean, I think there's there's dialogue even if it's across the stands. (laughs) Uh, There's a live stream, so people around the world will be watching in real time, and then over time, the talks themselves will be published. Um, But in in real time, um, a couple of things we'll do. We're going to ask that folks who arrive um, don't return to the same seat after each break so that they literally end up in a, in a new place with a new point of view and hopefully sitting next to somebody they, they would not have. Um, w- one thing that's really important at TEDx events is that you create enough of a break that people can really discover and, and really get into a conversation and, and whether that's meeting a speaker or spilling out to the sidewalk and just you know being drawn down a rabbit hole because somebody else you know points at something. So, um, so we have that and then in the evening we, we hope that people will there's sort of a TED community that will continue to grow. So it's not just the event, but also that evening and, um, and then, you know, long after. So part of it is just building in enough downtime so that people mm-hmm. can discover each other. Um, also, the, the final thing, just tactically, is the name tags themselves. Um, we've asked everybody that's applied um, from a speaker all the way to somebody who's just going to be in the audience to identify on their name tags several things about them that are of, of interest or curiosity so that we want visually – it's not just your name and your background, your company, the obvious. It's also wind sailing next to love, next to shag carpet. You know, <laughs> what does that triangulate? What does that invite in terms of the conversation? So we hope that those spark um, – and then we just trust that people will, will make good from those introductions, if you will. Mm-hmm. All Interesting. Right. Our phone numbers again, 855-081-1, and wfiu.org slash noon edition is the web address. If you want to join us online, we're talking about the TEDx Bloomington event, which is going to be tomorrow. Um, Jeff Nelson, I'm going to ask you a question. As you're whispering there, <laughs> when I ask you a question, we were being playful. Yes. That's okay. I know you are being playful. Um, about your name tag, have you decided what you're going to put on it? Well, I, he took mine. I was just telling him I have the shag carpet on there. <laughs> um, I was. I had ideas about how love and shag carpet go together. <laughs> you're going to share those tomorrow. <laughs> um, I have to recall. I, I filled mine out a couple of days ago. I think I mentioned something about uh, connecting through the internet and. Uh, close-up magic and card tricks. Mm-hmm. All right. No French horn on that? 
I'm I have lots of French horn in my life. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. But just not on your name tag. If, no, I'll talk to other people if they have it on their name tag. Uh-huh. <laughs> I see. Yeah, this is what I want people to talk to me about, right? Is that the so, yeah. Or, yeah. Yeah. So when you were when when you were were you one of the originals? Is Jeff on the committee too as well? No. Not on no. the so, committee. So when, he's one of our star speakers. <laughs> so when you were approached about this, um, and someone said to you, Debbie, or someone said to you, you know, the whole theme is wisdom of play. Um, what came to your mind? Well, the. The, the obvious one is I play the French horn, and I speak often about getting more play into our music making. You know, we go out there to avoid making mistakes and operate this thing in our hands, you know, mm-hmm. to make it more personal and more playful. So that's the obvious one. But I'm pretty playful while I teach as well, and we do a lot of playful things along the way. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think uh, life is a play. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. And Debbie, how about you? The whole wisdom of play idea. With For me, I think uh, what came to my mind wasn't exactly what the the theme was kind of intended to be. But for me, it was about, uh, you know, the wisdom of adding play to our lives that sometimes we need uh, just like, you know, you should play tennis or run or, or, you know, go play frisbee in order to do the rest of your work well. Mm-hmm. Um, but also that there is wisdom in having a playful element to your work, right? That uh, as a scientist, for example, I can go about things just the way that, that everyone else always has done. Or if I kind of play around with it and, and deviate a bit more and do my own thing and, and follow my own path with it, then not only might it be more enjoyable, but I might uh, get more out of it for myself and for the science. Mm-hmm. That might be closer to what <laughs> what the intended theme was, but <laughs> and, and also, I mean, that thought too is that there's there's experimenting and there's studying and there's doing all these things, but a lot of it society has brought an implied right or wrong or good and bad to it, mm-hmm. success and failure. But if it's play, there's no right or wrong. You know, mm-hmm. so there's a lot of wisdom in just playing at something. You know, mm-hmm. a lot and of growth. I, I love that with the diversity of speakers we have that there's going to be so many different angles to this theme of wisdom of play. You know, there really is, just like with play or work, there's no right or wrong about it. There's no right or wrong about the theme. And so I think we'll see a lot of different takes on it tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, th- I think about, you know, the, the whole idea, the wisdom of play. I think about the word fun. I mean, I, you know, I think a lot of people say, well, I just don't have enough fun in my life. And so you're mm-hmm. taking it sort of a little different direction. You know, with, with the word play instead. Yeah, and there yeah. will be fun tomorrow, and there will be. I mean, my talk will actually not be so much about what my original ideas were. It'll be pretty different than that. And I've only seen a few of the local speakers ones so far, but they're just magnificent. Mm-hmm. Now, the time for each available to each speaker is relatively brief. Yes. Yeah, uh, a, a TED talk um, is never any longer than eighteen minutes. So how'd that um, evolve? It's, uh, you know, that goes back for years and years and years of TED as a conference and, and looking at the form. And the basic premise is that it's not meant to be a lecture. It's not meant to be an expert simply, off, you know, bringing their CV or resume to life. It's, mm-hmm. it's meant to be this idea that there's one idea or there's a question and that the idea is to inspire the audience to wonder or inspire their colleagues or themselves to, to say, well, what's, what does that what does that lead to? Um, so... Over over uh, time, this 18-minute has sort of been brought in as just long enough to explore an idea but not long enough to become, again, a lecture or, or mm-hmm. that kind of formal presentation. But our presentations are everywhere from one of our performers is going to do a series of three-minute pieces over the span of the day. So it will aggregate to a nine- or ten-minute piece, um, but each one will be more of a, a quick hit and others will be a, a longer 15 or 18. And um, But the majority of our presenters are going to be in that sort of eight- to ten-minute which, again, is just enough time to kind of dive into their idea. Um, but then it's, it's over. You know, this thing is a, a really energized, uh, you know, sort of live wire. Um, and for most TED speakers, it, it's, it, they come off stage and, and it's like it, was, it just was a blink of an eye. Hmm. Um, and yet to the audience, it's just enough time to appreciate and to, to really think through something. And, mm-hmm. and so it's finding that right tension of, of reflection and, and just rapid fire. Mm-hmm. Now, in in your job as the the curator of TEDx 2011, do you go to a lot of TEDx events? I mean, Bloomington is one. How many have you been to in 2011? Short. <laughs> um, and, and I just want to make sure that, that Lucy McKean, who is, uh, mm-hmm. has, has been, you know, if there's any name that needs to be mentioned on a day-to-day basis, Lucy uh, 
um, is is the co-curator, and then David Crane, who from day one, a year and a half ago, is an alum of IU and uh, has been to Big Ted and is sort of part of that larger global community. Um, so there's a lot of folks that sort of mm-hmm. deservedly deserve to have that organizer curator role. But as far as TED, um, I was at TED Active, which is the parallel event um, to the Big TED. Uh, it takes place in Palm Springs the same week that the major TED does in Long Beach. So that was a really profound experience just a couple of months ago. Um, I have a number of colleagues and, and buddies around the world that are TEDx organizers and curators, so I've been at a number of their events. Uh, um, and and then lots of live streams, and then I've been on stage as a presenter, so I can really identify with, with Jeff uh, and, and Deb in terms of what they're picturing right now and how they're solving the problem and then just the fact that it's going to work out beautifully because they're passionate about it. Um, mm-hmm. um, so there's a lot of answers to that question, but mm-hmm. probably eight TEDx yeah. events in the last year. Well, that was you know leading up to my next question, which is, uh, is there? I know that all of them are unique and interesting in their own way, but could you just sort of mention one or two that you've seen that – Maybe surprised you a great deal, or, or that you really that you know, those ones that you just can't get out of your head. Sure, sure. Um, quick context: a, a TEDx event can be as small as ten or fifteen people putting a sheet up against a wall and just projecting talks, and and it's just really a very intimate experience. Up to uh, a couple thousand, fifteen hundred, eighteen hundred people in a in a what you would expect a massive production to be. Um, and so they, they, each one is not only different by theme and people, but also in terms of that relationship with the audience. Um, and so one that just impressed me beyond belief uh, takes place in Dallas at SMU. Uh, there's sort of two events side by side. One is TEDxSMU, and it's one of the more polished, refined events in the world. And then they have a kids' event the day before. And what always impresses me about that is um, – you have the major event that's really high production, incredibly successful, and just everything is spot on. And you're just wowed at, at scale. And, but the day before, the entire audience are middle school and high school students. And the high schoolers act as mentors to the middle school students. And then the folks on stage are some of the very same speakers that are on the big stage the next day come in and they work with the kids more directly. And the adults are actually asked to disappear into the fabric of the, the theater so that it's really a matter of a relationship between those speakers and the young people, but also how the young people are going to process, not just be talked down. Mm-hmm. So that's one that's been very impressive. Uh, there are a number of, of education-based TEDx events that have begun sparking up, and the one that just took place in San Francisco a couple weeks ago, and I went to its sister event in New York um, a year ago. And again, this is a takes place in a school, and you have some of the great thinkers in terms of where education is going but are really thinking about come Monday in the classroom, what's the impact? And mm-hmm. so to me, there are these really intimate moments that are powerful, and there are these incredible stage productions like going to Broadway and seeing mm-hmm. at that level. And then there is this sort of more thematic, and, and how is this going to have an impact come Monday or in the immediacy of our practice? So um, I've just been blessed by seeing a wide range of those. Mm-hmm. All right. We're going to have to take a short break. Governor. Before we do, let's, add, let's talk, yes. talk about tickets so we have a chance to talk about that twice before the show's okay. over. Tickets are still available, yes. Yeah. Yeah, and Chumley box office. Yeah, on, online they can still be ordered. Uh, there's a way they can do that by going to TEDxBloomington.com, and, and they would just order like you do online. And, and also at the theater itself, last minute, we have an ability for that. Um, we still have a, a, a few seats left, so we, we hope that people take advantage. And when we come back for, from break, let's talk a little bit more about what the day is really going to feel like for participants. Okay, sounds good. You're listening to Noon Edition. We'll be right back. This is Noon Edition on WFIU. Production support comes from Smithville. Information at smithville.net. You can take WFIU programs with you by downloading our podcast directly to your computer, iPod, or portable player. Programs like Noon Edition, Ask the Mayor, and Harmonia, or short features like Kinsey Confidential, The Ether Game, Musical Mini Quiz, as well as Play and Opera Reviews are all available on demand. Find out more at WFIU.org. And have you heard WFIU's news features? On Fridays, the WFIU News Team brings you expanded and in-depth reports on topics affecting South Central Indiana. Listen at 11.33 a.m., 11.55 a.m., and 5.45 p.m. to catch that day's feature. They're also archived on our website, WFIU.org.
Welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg from the Herald Times along with Mary Catherine Carmichael. And today we're talking about this weekend's TEDx Bloomington, which is at the Buzzkirk Chumley Theater on Saturday. Our guests in the studio are Debbie Herbenick, who's with the Kinsey Institute, TEDx 2011 curator Christian Long, and Jeff Nelson of the IU School of Music. And we're going to start with, uh, with Jeff. <laughs> All right. So that was uh, Jeff on his short but sweet. Jeff on his French horn. Now, uh, you know, I asked you to play something that sort of represented play to you. Can you? Why did you pick those notes? <laughs> Beethoven picked uh, those notes. Okay. Yeah, all right. There you go. And you just interpreted them. Right? And they're not copywritten anymore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So. Uh, I think I recognize that. Porgy and Bess. Yeah. Yeah. Summertime, right? So. Uh, happy that it's summer. You're happy that it's summer. Okay. Yeah. Do, you, do you play more in the summer than you do in the rest of the year? Uh, no. It's pretty full time all year. Yeah. yeah. You're talking about French horn, right? right. Or, or do you just play everything all that year? That too. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, Beautiful. I want to want to remind our listeners eight five five zero eight one one is the local phone number eight seven seven two eight five nine three three four eight and wfiu dot org slash noon edition. And we actually do have a phone call, so we uh, are going to go to Dennis first. Dennis, go ahead. Hi. Um, I've never really done anything TED related. I'm not too much of a computer guy, but but I just loved the title, the wisdom of play. So it interested me, even though, I mean, I, I just really love to play things, games, I don't care what it is. Um, and I'm wondering, like, I, I know there's still tickets left, is there a big difference between live streaming and actually being at the event? Yes. <laughs> there. Can I jump in? Sure, absolutely. Um, this is Debbie, and I um, actually attended my first TED event in December in Washington, D.C. It was uh, TED Women, and it was all focused uh, uh, not just women speakers. It was both genders, but on women's issues. And I had been watching TED videos online for a few years. I use them when I teach human sexuality classes on campus, and I'm very familiar with TED and, and have always loved these TED videos. But being there and being a part of it and having new people by my side every time I walked back in to listen to talks and being able to share you know, those immediate impressions with the people around me and hear what they thought was absolutely valuable and uh, and really just furthered my excitement for coming and being a part of this event here. It's a completely unique experience. Yeah. No, Deb, I, this is Christian. Uh, Deb, I absolutely love that answer, and so I'll just sort of try to add to that real quickly. Um, I've been to a couple of events where if it was just about the speakers alone, I walked away pretty flat. I felt like, okay, high quality, nice event, but I didn't feel it. And again, like you, I've been fully interested in, in TED. The events, though, that really committed to the fact that the attendees, the audience, were as important as, as the folks on stage and really tried to, to engender not just conversation but relationships. Um, and people in the audience felt like they got to co-craft that along the way and sort of hack the code a little bit. Those are the events you don't let go of. Those are the ones you want to keep going the next day. And, um, and I think these things wouldn't work if it was just the talks even though the talks are very successful when they're passed online, but it's not the same. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Dennis, what's, uh, what's the topic for Wisdom of Play mean to you? Uh, just to be uh, have more playful living. Uh, as Debbie was saying earlier, uh, you know, it's, I, I mean, when I'm invited to someone's house and, uh, you know, we might play games like dictionary or something that's really fun and it can be outrageous, but I traveled for 11 years in the middle of my life. I quit my job. And I had fun. I mean, my life was totally unpredictable. I moved to Bloomington. I got a job. I bought a house. And I became responsible. And those things, I mean, when I, when I, when I saw the topic in the paper, I said, I want to get back in touch with that side of myself uh, when I travel, that freedom and that. And then just really going where life led me. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was extraordinary. Well, we wish you luck in getting back to that. Okay, thanks. All right. I'll see you there. Okay, thanks, Dennis. Great. Excellent. Well, that's a good segue into uh, talking about what the experience here in Bloomington is going to feel like for the people who show up at the Buskirk Chumley tomorrow. Now, it starts at... 
10? It's a, a 9 o'clock start. So 9 o'clock start. Okay. We'd recommend, uh, because seats are not assigned, we'd recommend that people sort of use 8.30 as a, a great time. That way they can get there, find a place to be comfortable and relax and, and not feel rushed. Um, yeah, doors open be, at 8.30. 830. Will there the be coffee? Day. I'm, if there there may be, but there may not be. Uh, if not, though, there are some fantastic shops right around there. And actually, that reminds me of lunch. Um, with your ticket, you also get a lunch voucher. And this really is the type of event where... Uh, you know, conversation in community is fostered. And so along these lines, you know, this is the kind of event where it's okay if you don't know anyone. These are the kinds of people who want you to say, hey, can I join you for lunch? So you're going to have, I forget how much it is, maybe like a $10 voucher. Something, something like that. A Somewhere number of restaurants within walking distance and mm-hmm. an hour and a half break. So enough time to really relax and talk and, mm-hmm. and discover somebody new. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you get there hopefully at 830 or so. Find your seat. Bring your own coffee uh, just to be on the safe side. Definitely before uh, nine or you'll miss the sex. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> no, just help. Okay. Uh, and so speakers, and uh, then what happens? So lunch? We, we do. We have a, a session, sort of an early morning session, and then there's a break, and then there's a second session, and then a longer break for lunch, and a third session after lunch, another break, and, and then a fourth session. And, and then we sort of hope that we spark uh, all some activity in the evening uh, as well. So there's a, there's a sort of a thematic um, uh, each of the, the groups of speakers are sort of tied to a theme within the wisdom of play. Mm-hmm. So there might be a wisdom group and there might be a, you know, et cetera. You get the point. Um, and then we want breaks so that people can have time to process. And, and the one thing that has become really critical uh, for TEDx events or around the world that have been successful is they give people time to just make sense and to to, to feel like they, they can think through and, mm-hmm. and just wonder out loud about and to meet somebody they never would have and, and – uh, if it was just about the ideas on stage, nobody had time for that. I think it wouldn't. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't feel right. Something would be missing. Mm-hmm. So it would be a book, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. or something yeah. you could watch online yeah. just with as much yeah. uh, success. So, okay, you made some reference to the evening. Is there any structured? Are there any structured events planned for the evening, or is that uh, you figure that out after you've met new people and come up with exciting new? acquaintances. Yeah, you figure that out and there'll be a lot going on downtown and this is also the kind of event where the speakers are part of the community and the audience too and I think that's valuable to know because so often you know, you might go to a talk and there's a really interesting speaker on stage and then they disappear backstage mm-hmm. and you never see them again and you wish you could ask a question or talk with them. This is the kind of thing where once you know we're done and our session is over our block of time is over, we'll all be kind of floating around throughout the day and I'm sure well into the night for some of us. All right. 855-0811-877-285-9348-WFIU.org slash Noon Edition. wanted to go back to uh, Debbie because there may have been some people who missed the first half of our program. And when you said come, you know, be sure to come at 9 so you don't miss the sex, we might want to explain that just a little bit, a little bit more. And I'm going to ask it in this way. I mean, this is a question we were talking about at break. I mean, how did, how did you sort of arrive at the, the topic you know, in a, in a general sense or a specific sense that, that you're going to be talking about? Yeah, Lucy had, um, Lucy McKean had first approached me about just my general interest in TEDx. And, uh, and she and I had met years ago when we were um, both doing some work with the Vagina Monologues plays um, on campus. And uh, I guess she had thought of me more recently because on, on Facebook she had seen a study that I was recruiting participants for, um, which was a study about how dogs and how having a pet dog or cat changes people's sex lives. And uh, I guess she thought, you know, I mean, there's that the intersections right there, kind of science and wisdom and play. So we met for coffee and we talked about it. And although that's not what my talk is about, um, you know, I spent a long time thinking, what, what would I say and what ideas did I have to share with this community and to spread along? And I took a, you know, a lot of walks and a lot of runs thinking about that. And I'm doing a, a type of talk I don't normally do. I do a lot of uh, talks about my research, very, very clinical, very sciencey. When I teach, I have a very playful approach to teaching, but, you know, they're very topic-oriented. This is going to be a much broader conceptual look at sex and play. I think it, there's some sentiment to it, and I think, uh, you know, the focus on, is on how people can have more meaningful sex lives 
more pleasurable sex lives, uh, but very different than the kinds of things you would normally find in a magazine. Mm. If you want to know specifics, though, you're going to have to show up before 9 o'clock. I'm assuming you may need to get rid of a few of those dogs and cats that you have. To, yeah, you know, or at least put them in another room. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. Um, so, Jeff, uh, same question for you. I mean, uh, you know, the, the topic that you're going to be uh, addressing, you know, about you know, overcoming fear and, and all that. I mean, what sort of drove you to that that idea, that topic? Being scared. Yeah. <laughs> Vomiting backstage. Yeah. 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 The twelfth time was enough for me. But, okay, maybe I can change this. Um, yeah, but basically it was. I was performing fearlessly when I was young, and then all of a sudden I noticed same instrument, same musical goals, walking out there and having a totally different approach when, or a different experience when someone was watching me. So I really got obsessed with that and studied it and succeeded through it, through mm-hmm. good and bad choices and a lot of learning. And now that I'm just finished my fifth year here at IU teaching, it's, I'm watching my students, and I know their, what their best abilities are, and they rarely come out on stage, first-time performance, and play near that. But in a room alone, I know they can play, you know, play it upside down on their head. So it is the presence of the audience. We make choices. So I got obsessed with that. And then I did a Canadian Brass concert here and worked with Martin Bout a bit. And he, we got to know each other really well. We hit it off. And I think he uh, talked to Lucy about me. And mm-hmm. that's where the connections happened. And we had a nice coffee as well. Well, that's, uh, that is a really interesting um, point of view because most people start playing music, I would think, because it's fun. People want to have a good time. Mm-hmm. That's why they call it play music, I guess. Mm-hmm. But then once you get to be a serious performer. Yeah, they don't call it work music. Yeah, but, but some people do work <laughs> well, yeah. with their music. And, and, and you know, that, that would have to uh, be a, an issue to overcome. Yeah, there comes a moment where you decide you're going to become a musician. And then no longer is it, can I play for grandma? But, oh, I can't play for grandma. I haven't warmed up yet. You know, and it's your self-worth <laughs> is wrapped up in you, what you do. So you are not what you do. And I quit horn for four years. So I got to live a little while without having to succeed at music. Mm-hmm. When I came back to it, I was really bad at it, but I learned faster because I just did it without feeling bad about it and mm-hmm. learned faster. You know, I'd like to have heard him when he was really bad. Yeah, I know. I was chuckling about that myself. <laughs> I'm like, hmm. Yeah. Right. I think we might have def- dif- differing definitions of really bad. <laughs> right. Well, I, I wish uh, we'd get a few calls here today because I know, you know summertime is difficult in Bloomington sometimes to get people to phone us because all the students, all the faculty are off doing whatever they do. But we'd love to hear from you, 855-0811-877-285-9348 and org slash noon edition. Okay. I always ask the money questions because for whatever reason, I'm always interested in the money. So um, if you want to know something, follow the money. So this sounds expensive to put on. If you're bringing people in from everywhere, and it sounds like you are, several several people. So is the uh, how, do, how are you able to keep the cost, the ticket costs um, in line and, and not prohibitive? I mean, especially here in Bloomington, we um, have an embarrassment of riches, especially free or almost free riches. So um, things offered to us. So um, tell us about ticket price. Tell us, um, you know, that whole, so everybody knows what to expect there. Sure. The, the event as a whole is a $60 ticket. So that's the sort of just very practical answer. Um, there were uh, that's for a day full for of a day for the entire and day, and you get a in a ten dollar lunch, lunch voucher, including lunch, etc., etc. Um, you know, a couple of important things is that this is a non for profit and it's completely volunteer. So not only are all the folks involved in planning volunteering, but none of the speakers are paid. So you're really asking people to to share their time and, and to get involved and really be be a participant, not just sort of on stage for a few moments. Um, so everything is is a benefit of people just really donating incredible amounts of time. I mean, the planning team has been involved for an extraordinary period of time for this idea of, of how do we solve this and pull it off. And speakers, too, and the amount of time that the presenters, no matter how familiar they are with their topic, it's incredible how, how much work the, the presenters put into to a mm-hmm. TEDx event. Um, we obviously have extraordinary uh, partners and sponsors that, that have helped out from in-kind donations to, uh, to uh, giving us the financial ability to ensure that, that people could get off a plane, but, but also the fact that, that we could just make sure that when people walked in that the event was, was at a professional level that suggested mm-hmm. this is a really special moment in time. And I think it speaks to what Deb said about being there – it, there's some there there. Like it's important to be there, and we wanted to make sure. Um, but we've we've been really playfully and 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 cleverly, and, and sometimes just by sweat equity, trying to figure out how do you do this when you can't make money, 
Mm-hmm. Um, and this isn't about money. It's just about putting on an event that's memorable and important and feels real. Um, and so along the way, we've, we've had to discover lots of creative ways. It's not like we've done this event nine years in a row and we're just fine-tuning it. We're, you know, we're all experienced, but we're, we're trying to figure out how to do this one moment the right way. And um, so thank you for that question because it's been a living, a living process. Mm-hmm. I think this is about, you know, we, we've had to discover. We've had to figure out how to do that right. Cool. All right. We have a phone call. Let's go to Daniel on the phone. Daniel? Yes, good day. How are you? Good. Well, thank you for putting on this event, first of all. I just, um, I'm just really excited about attending tomorrow. Great. But I wanted to uh, ask the question about um, how much uh, content is going to be uh, focused on actual game playing. Like, uh, I come from a background here, and I live in Bloomington, and I'm a designer and a game designer. And wondering how much uh, uh, board game and or uh, computer gaming is going to be discussed. Hmm, good question. I think without giving anything away, if you have those interests and you come tomorrow, you will absolutely find some talks that are very, very, very relevant to that. Um, I, I don't know that I want to yeah. give away too much. Well, I want to – I want to – Gaming. Yeah, I want to double back to, to something you said earlier and, and – um, you know the the, the topic we, we gave every presenter everybody that, that we, we we asked uh, to come be involved we gave them the theme and, and said so how do you want to approach that um, I think on occasion we would say to somebody you're not we're not asking you to simply give the talk that you're known for mm-hmm. like this is an opportunity for you to stretch and an opportunity for you to take risk and I think to embrace that fear Jeff that that, mm-hmm. that you know to be true. Um, and so it wasn't we want a game designer or we want somebody who's great at children's playgrounds or we didn't approach those words as literals. We approached those as invitations. Um, so it's a great question. I can tell you that there are a number of folks on the planning team and folks that have been involved in terms of just supporting it and folks on stage, et cetera, that are also passionate about gaming, both virtual as far as board games and just serious gaming as a mindset. So. I think it's it's not so much that this is a an event based on a very object based or literal application of gaming, but in the audience are going to be these incredible intersections and trajectories of how game applies and whether serious gaming or or game is discovery. So I think if you can, um, in it, what I would do is if you're going to be there tomorrow, which we I believe is the case, um, is I hope you help us spark conversation and, and discovery and, mm-hmm. um, and and make that a living uh, piece as opposed to will there be a presenter that will do it in one way or another. So um, we're actually looking forward to, to you uh, getting us there as much as us. And I would add two things to that. One is that uh, whatever your interests are, I think that even talks from about other topics might spark some interest and conversation and thoughts around you know your specific area of interest as well. I mean, all of these, the ones I've seen so far, have been really inspiring. Even though I may not have experience in, in the type of thing that they're talking about. The second thing, like Christian was saying about sparking conversation, I would also add: you have an hour and a half lunch break. If you want to bring a deck of cards or a board game and invite some people to go play with you. Yeah. You know, please do. It would make the day a lot more fun. Yeah, and I, Deb, I don't, I don't, I don't think you're fooling around when you say that. I think no, literally, I'm like, if, if somebody brought sidewalk chalk and, and, and during a lunch break sat down in front of the entryway and, and sparked a hopscotch game, that would be an extraordinary. And if someone uh, for Tony had yeah. Connect Four, I yeah. will be at your table. <laughs> that is my favorite game. And I might I be doing some card tricks during this. All right, there we go. Yeah. Daniel, do you have a follow up? I uh, just I, I believe this was talked about that this is uh, going to be recorded and for broadcast later, correct? The whole day. It's both live streamed in real time. So if you're at your computer and simply aren't in a position to, to be with us tomorrow, you can literally watch it unfold in real time. The talks themselves will be uh, uh, there'll be some editing just to make sure that they're 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 sort of tied together physically, and and then those will be uploaded uh, to it to the TEDx YouTube channel as well as our own website uh, in the next three to four weeks. That's on average. So feel forgive us if it's a couple of days either way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I'll be there tomorrow. I do have my ticket, so I look forward to it. Excellent. Great. All right. Okay, we have about 10 minutes to go. 855-0811-877-285-9348, WFIU.org slash Noon Edition. I wanted to ask, uh, maybe hopefully Daniel's still listening, but is Christian Briggs involved in this in any way? He did a he did an online game this week, that, and he I know when he was talking about doing that, it was about the community. He mentioned the fact that he was doing. He liked doing it the week of TEDx, so I didn't know if he had any involvement mm. or not. So apparently not. Okay, glad I asked that question. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that went nowhere. Well, now, okay, so we've talked about kind of the evolution of TEDx, but I'm not sure. I'm really um, super firm on on the the overarching goal for the day, if there is one. 
What's the goal? I, I, in no particular order, I think, I think, you know, TED is inspiring. I think people in the last couple of years have become really kind of madly curious and passionate about TED and whether it's a mm-hmm. single talk like Jill's talk or this idea of a community, which we think is even more important. So on some level, I think we want to we live up to that challenge of can we put on an event that, that is of a kind? Um, but on the other hand, it, it's, it's, there is this moment in time, and, and we want people to be there. But I think it's what happens you know, a, a day from now and six weeks from now that when people are, are still wondering why are they so fascinated about a talk that they don't have any background with or the two people they sat with at lunch say, what if we wrote the code for that game? Or you know, I think it's this idea. Um, and certainly it goes without saying, but I, I don't want to forget the opportunity to, that – you know, this is an extraordinary town, an extraordinary community, and, and this is a moment where the world will literally tune into Bloomington tomorrow. They will, there will be people around the world that will, will lean in through their computer screens and through Twitter and no, um, et cetera. <laughs> so, you know, we have an opportunity to celebrate this extraordinary, you know, place and, and community. Um, so I think if you add all those things together and then add another category of we have no idea – Mm-hmm. And we just want to allow for the possibility of discovery and, and accident and, and mistake that leads to beauty or, 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 again, a game that breaks out at a table and lunch. And, again, that's, uh, you know, Deb just even prompted which game she would love to have. <laughs> um, now, you've mentioned that there are maybe 21 different speakers. Can you give us a bit of a preview? I went to the website today and there are photos of all the speakers there and mm-hmm. people can take a look and see a little bit about what their background is. but. Can you uh, give us a sense of who some of the local speakers are and some of the people that are coming in from outside? You want to, Deb? Why don't you start? And Jeff, I'd also be curious who on the speaker set that you don't know that you're curious about, or as a fan or as a participant, you're also looking forward to. Yeah, there's a there's a large number. Uh, certainly locally, in addition to Jeff Nelson and myself, we have Jessica Quirk, who is a she went to IU, but she has recently moved back after living in New York, and she's a very popular fashion blog or really style blogger. Um, her blog is What I Wore, and she has a new book coming out. And she'll be talking about personal style, and she's just uh, really fun. And Lindsay Manfredi from Indianapolis from the Girls Rock uh, camp mm. will also be here. Mm. Uh, and she's also, uh, you know, really just bright and talented and interesting. Uh, let's see. We also have uh, – Steve Olin, one of your speakers? Steve Olin is. Ted Castronova. Uh, I mean, really just a, a very good and eclectic group. We also have Charlie Todd coming from Improv Everywhere. He's one of the national speakers that I'm personally really looking forward to seeing. I don't know if you guys want to jump yeah. in. Yeah, I'm looking yeah. forward to Ted's talk on – the Ted's TED talk uh, <laughs> about gaming and what it means to him and, and growing up myself as being a video gamer and gamer, but the much deeper reasons for why we do it. It's a beautiful, really beautiful talk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I'd Nol- like to know that. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of other IU alums, Nolan Harrison uh, played for IU, played football here, and then went on to the Los Angeles Raiders and the Redskins, et cetera. And, and he's now involved at the center of the NFL labor, labor uh, negotiations. And so he's looking at it from the perspective of sort of the warrior's life after they play the game. You know, it's interesting to see that he was in banking for a while. He was. Yeah, that. That's yeah. actually what he – up until just recently when he joined the NFL as, as a member of their uh, – the Players Association. Um, we have other uh, – so along with Charlie Todd who's coming in from New York and is sort of known – flash mob, he wouldn't use that phrase. But I think that's what a lot of us think about. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mark and Sarah uh, Schiller uh, were the founders of Wooster Collective and they're really sort of seen globally as, as – the leading curators or sort of having the, the best radar in terms of street art or graffiti art or ephemeral art. And they're, you know, friendly with Shepard Ferry, who did Obama's painting, and, mm. and Banksy, who's this sort of enigmatic character and uh, an artist. Um, and uh, we have a, a woman named Amy who's coming from Chicago that uh, her background in the professional world is in designing and planning schools. Uh, we have another woman from Chicago, Sarah Elizabeth Ippel, who founded one of the most inspired schools in America in the last couple of years and um, really is rewriting the code for what an urban school is uh, for, young, for young children. So lots of different ways of approaching that, again, wisdom and, mm-hmm. and, and wisdom of play. The uh, event goes on from 9 o'clock in the morning until 6 with an hour and a half break. I'm just kind of wondering about, you know, I think the ones of us here from Bloomington would recognize the Lotus Festival and what it does in the downtown area and the fact that that there is music all over the place, but there are people who just are in the streets and talking and experiencing the event. Is this the kind of thing that maybe even around the lunch hour or if people don't buy a ticket, that if they just want to sort of be down in the downtown area, that they might get some benefit from as well? 
what, what strikes me is, and, and Deb, you mentioned this a second ago, is that, you know, the speakers, uh, they have this incredible moment on stage, eight minutes, 15 minutes, whatnot. But then at a certain point in time, they just become attendees. They're just on the sidewalk having a conversation. And I, and I, and I think what's wonderful is that, that they're all invested in being part of it, not just being on the, the marquee. So there are going to be moments where some of the presenters and some very well-known and some that are just extraordinary stories waiting to be shared, like, like as you said, Jill's was earlier, who are just going to be on the sidewalk talking, who are going to be at restaurants, and there'll be name badges. And I think anybody that isn't just their schedule doesn't allow um, or they didn't know until the last minute could show up at a restaurant. If there's a table of folks with those name tags, there's no reason why you can't sit down and say, so why does your name tag say this? Or, hey, wait a minute, are you or... Or just sit and be part as a human being and not even worry about the TEDx Bloomington side of things. Just there's a group of passionate people that are having lunch that didn't know each other 10 minutes earlier. And <laughs> there's no reason why a sixth person couldn't join that table. So I think this is a like outward bound. This is challenged by choice. If you want to get into the sandbox and play, the sandbox is ready for you to join. And if not, there are ways to sort of quietly appreciate or watch from a distance or, or get on Twitter and be sit there and just at 140, just uh, 140 characters, just add your question or ideas or you know, add a link to something. And I, I want to add, please come up to us if you see us with these name tags. Not just you can, but please do it. Come and we will bring a chair in. We guarantee it. <laughs> okay, last question. We've got only a minute and a half to go. But for each of you, how are you going to know if this is a huge success or just a modest success? What, what are you going to – I mean, what do you hope to take out of it? Jeff, what's your answer? I'm – Already congratulating everyone on a wonderful success, just because I've already met amazing people. My life is richer just from the beginnings months ago. <laughs> but um, it's the idea is worth sharing, and it's just deafeningly obvious. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. Yep. Okay. Yeah, I think uh, I, I already feel like we've come a long way and feel great about it. And if I can have some um, interesting, engaging conversations tomorrow, and I know I will, then I'm going to feel really good about this. Mm-hmm. All right. My quick tangible answer is if there is a a collection of photographs, unexpected photographs of attendees in the middle of something extraordinary, that to me is going to be a great success because we're pretty certain they're going to be great storytellers. We know that there are people that are just happy that the event is going to take place. But the thing that we can't control is the joy and discovery and and, – of, of those who show up. And, and so to me, I'm looking forward to on Flickr and on Twitter and Facebook and just in the moment seeing eyes widen and, and people smiling and talking. And to me, that's where the success lies. Okay. The event is TEDx Bloomington. It's downtown tomorrow. We can get there about 830. If you want to get in line, make sure to get a ticket. Uh, we've been talking today with uh, Debbie Herbenick and uh, Christian Long, Jeff Nelson. Thanks for being here. For Mary Catherine Carmichael, producer Dan Goldblatt and engineer Mike Pashkash. I'm Bob Salzberg. Thanks for listening. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times. A podcast of this and other WFIU programs is available at WFIU.org. Production support comes from Smithville, a locally owned business serving central and southern Indiana since 1922 with residential and business internet, voice, and security services. Smithville, local pride, global technology. Information at smithville.net.